0: Welcome to the Vitality Health Show, where we inform you about the latest advancements in alternative health care and the best health and wellness solutions to benefit your body, mind, and spirit. Now, here's your host, Stephanie Parrish.
1: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Vitality Health Show. I am your host, Stephanie Parrish, along with my co-host, Doug Crockett, and we are the voice of hope, healing, and miracles. Good morning, Doug, and welcome. It's a beautiful day.
2: It is a beautiful day. The sun is shining, and uh, I am excited for this opportunity to, to visit a, with our guest today. I've got notes ready to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's going to be a good one.
2: All First right. of all, we
1: want to thank our sponsors, the Mindful Lab, where you can find clarity, connection, and peace. Go to mindfullab.net. You will love Christine. She is working with teenage girls. That is just unreal what she's doing with them, as well as the Sunshine Family Hemp, Nature's Side of Health. Find them at sunshinefamilyhemp.com. Love their products. Love their p- products. Also, oils by Ellie. There's an oil for that. And that can, she can be found at oilsbyellie at gmail.com. We love, love, love essential oils. And we love that Ellie's come on with those. Also, we want to invite you to check out our own Doug Crockett's YouTube channel. And that is called Miracles When Heaven Touches Earth. He's got some incredible shows on there, and a lot of his people that he's interviewed have come on our show as well. So mm-hmm. we're very, very happy about that and just really neat connections with Heaven and Miracles. And as a reminder, if you have any suggestions or comments, please email me at contact at contactatmyvitalityhealthsolutions.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now, today, our guests, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this guest to come on. We've <laughs> been so excited to have him on. So, um, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, it was an emergency room physician for over 25 years. While he was doing that, he actually saw souls leaving their body at death and he communicated with them. His experience began in childhood after his brother died in a farm accident. After decades of silence, Dr. O'Driscoll published an award-winning memoir called Not Yet. As an international speaker and an intuitive mentor, he connects souls to the highest self and their most authentic life path. We have been very anxiously awaiting this interview And, Dr. O'Driscoll, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here with us.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: We're going to just jump right in. I know Doug and I have got questions galore coming up, and we've had a lot of people that are waiting in the wings to hear the show. We've been promoting and talking about it for months, and we have been waiting for this day to get here. Yes. (laughs) So so we're going to go ahead and start with with your experiences as a child and how this has developed over the years and what actually did you go through? Could please start us out with that. Sure.
3: Well, as you mentioned in the intro, um, uh, my brother passed away when I was young. Uh, we were quite close, and he he was killed in a farm accident when he tipped a tractor over. Um, oh, my. Uh, I didn't think it had any real impact on me, Psychologically, I thought I got through it rather unscathed. But it wasn't long after that that I started getting messages. And sometimes I'd get uh, these clear, intuitive uh, uh, downloads, if you will. Sometimes it seemed like a voice speaking to me. Sometimes there were things I just knew. Uh, For example, when I was 16 years old, uh, I was driving a Volkswagen Bug much too fast on a narrow, windy country road after dark. I had oh, two no. friends in the car. None of us were wearing seat belts, and a voice spoke to me and said, "You have to slow down." And wow. for some reason, I listened. I slowed down. I went around the <laughs> for corner. For some reason, <laughs> uh, I, hit a, I hit a Cadillac head-on. There was all yeah. kinds of damage to the vehicles, but nobody was injured. Wow!
2: Wow! In head-on with your bug. My goodness. Okay.
3: I, I think I might have died that night if I hadn't have slowed down. I think the voice saved my life. And I later came to believe that it was my brother's voice because I wouldn't have listened to anything else. I wouldn't have listened to my parents. I wouldn't have listened to law enforcement or authority figures. And I've joked that if God had been sitting in the seat next to me, I wouldn't have listened to God. So I think it was my brother that was speaking to me that night. Wow. Um, That's, I
2: appreciate that. Voices that you recognize, recognizable voices that can get our attention. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It,
3: about 20 years after my brother died, he came to me one day, and uh, I saw him, and and he spoke clearly to me, and he said, "There's, you need to go talk with our mother. There's things she's never told you about my death. Oh. So oh I went and spoke with my mother, and she told me for the very first time that day, uh, she said, I always knew where you were in the house before Stan died because I could hear you singing. When your brother died, you stopped singing.
4: So oh, that was
3: the first time I realized <laughs> wow. that
2: his death really had a, a major impact on me psychologically. So you were singing in the house. That was something you liked to do. And then you stopped. Yeah, when I was a kid. Wow. You know? Okay. Do you I was just a month before
3: my twelfth birthday when my brother died, and according to my mother, I stopped singing. Wow.
1: Wow. You probably didn't even recognize that, did you?
3: No, no, I didn't even pick up on it until after 20 years later when my brother sent me to talk with her and she told that to me. So I'd had these experiences increasing in in frequency and in in magnitude over a period of years uh, until sometimes I started to see the messenger that was speaking to me. And after medical school and uh, I went, started working in the emergency department, as you mentioned in the intro, sometimes I'd get these messages uh, and sometimes I'd actually see souls leave their bodies when they died. Um, Really? But it it, it had become such a part of my life over a period of decades. It had been gradually growing over time that it just felt natural to me. Um, It felt normal. Mm.
2: Interesting. So when you would see their soul leave their body, and in you're in your working in the emergency room, was that your, okay, I guess we're done, or did you keep trying, or how did that, how did that impact what you were doing at the moment? I'm curious.
3: Well, there was a variety of different experiences, and sometimes they had one meeting and meaning, and sometimes they had another. Sometimes okay. I'd get a feeling that I needed to do more. Sometimes I had a feeling that uh, their time was right, and they were passing, and, and, uh, uh, It it depended on the circumstance. On one occasion, uh, a gentleman was involved in a horrific car crash down by Cedar City in uh, central Utah. And uh, his wife and his 14-month-old son both died at the scene of the accident. He was stabilized to the extent possible and then flown to Salt Lake. And when I went into the trauma room to see him, he was unconscious on the gurney and a bunch of people were taking care of him. Standing above him in the air was his deceased wife, uh, who expressed her profound gratitude for the care that her husband was receiving. Um, really? So,
2: I, I had a lot of experiences like that during my career. So, he told you that his wife was uh, above and appreciating that, or that's what you saw? No, that's what
3: I saw. He was unconscious. Wow.
2: Okay. He was unconscious. You're right. You're right. You said that.
3: You said that. So, wow. So, No, I saw her, and she communicated with me, Um, had this profound experience. I never expected to talk with him about it. I never expected to see him again once we sent him off to the operating room. But about a month later, um, I ended up visiting with him in his hospital room. And when he heard about my experience with his deceased wife, he got emotional and proceeded to tell me how Before his body had been extricated from the car, he had left his body and risen up above the scene of the accident and met his deceased wife in this brilliant light above the accident. And she would told him, you have to go back and raise our other son because they had a seven-year-old son in the car that was minimally injured.
2: Mm.
3: And so his name's also Jeff. He and I are still good friends today. We've been friends for now for almost 25 years.
2: That's That's awesome. I, I know the Jeff you're speaking of. It's that's a wonderful, wonderful story. I, I love it. Yeah. So that's that's guess that's that's wonderful. And that's interesting how it's become a part where you've been able to experience it more than once and multiple times and, and um so the first time you, this experience happened, we started to realize it scary on unusual didn't know what to do with it now it's more you're you're not that worried about it or you're more used to it um easier to talk about spiritually in depth or how does that i guess how's how has that changed you i suppose
3: (laughs) i never i've never had a fearful experience when i've had these these kind of experiences they've never been fearful for me i know other people have had fearful experiences but i haven't okay and um uh It's gradually just become part of who I am, Uh, but I didn't speak about it for 25 years in the ER, uh, partly because it probably, I was concerned about my professional reputation uh, as a physician. I'm a a committed man of science. I'm very much evidence-based scientific uh, approach to medicine. Um, So I was concerned about that. Sometimes the experiences seem maybe just a little too sacred to talk about. Understandably, Uh, yeah. But about six months after I stopped seeing patients in the emergency department, something just clicked in my soul one day and I understood it was okay to share. And that's when I first started to talk about it a little bit with a small number of trusted friends. And when I saw how empowering and enabling and validating it was for some of my friends to hear these experiences, um, I was encouraged to, to speak more about it. So now I've spoken a lot about it uh, and written a book as was mentioned in the introduction. Mm-hmm.
1: Jeff, can I ask you a question? Did When you started sharing this, did you share it with colleagues that were in the room with you at the time? Did any of them have similar experiences? did any of the people that you have worked with or families of the people that you've seen be able to pass over, did any of them have any clue this was happening or did they experience anything the same as you?
3: There was just one person in the department that knew I had these experiences. She was a nurse and she had her own profound spiritual experience. And he cried some of mine out of me and cried in a, private conversation and so she knew I had these experiences that day that gentleman was flown from Cedar City to my ER I was not going to be his doctor Uh, I wasn't going to even go in the room there was other doctors there that took care of him I wasn't going to be involved but she came and grabbed me by the arm and started dragging me to the trauma room she said you have to come I said why and she said because she's there I said who's there she said his wife she's there uh, we knew that his wife was deceased at the scene we'd received a report about the accident of course and so she drugged me into the trauma room and uh, she had the same experience that I did and and it was a month later that she came to me and started tugging on my arm again and said we have to go tell jeff what what happened i said no we don't i don't I don't need to tell anybody about my spiritual experiences and she was insistent and she drug me up to his hospital room and uh, shared the experience we'd had and and she hasn't talked about her experience publicly. Um, so uh, I'm not even sure where she is now. She, she doesn't work at the same place anymore. But that was the one person that knew I had these experiences.
1: Well, how did that feel to you, knowing somebody else, you could share that with somebody else,
3: with her? It was reassuring. It was comforting and validating. Um, uh, thinking that you're strange or weird or that you're the only one is a really stifling, lonely place to be, and so that's one of the reasons I speak about it now publicly, and one of the reasons I do podcasts, and uh, uh, one of the reasons I wrote my book is because so many people come to me afterwards, and they say, you know, I've never spoken about this before, but and then they want to share something, and they feel like they can. They feel empowered. In fact, I asked a question on a Facebook page, a Facebook group that I belong to. It's only for physicians. There's about 55,000 physicians on it. It's private physician page only. And I asked a question, have any of you ever resuscitated a patient who said that they were conscious while their body was uh, in full arrest and that they had experiences? And I had hundreds of responses. And many of the responses were from doctors who said, I've never spoken about this before, but... And we had a couple Zoom calls afterwards with some of the group that wanted to talk about it more. They finally felt like, oh, I'm not the only one. Here's a safe place to talk.
2: Huge. That's incredible.
1: I'm I'm not a doctor, but I couldn't even imagine having to hold (laughs) something like that in and trying to just digest it and figure it out. And it had to have been so freeing and liberating realizing you're not the only one. I know we have a lot of a lot of our listeners and Doug does this very very well, but we have a lot of our listeners out there that do have experiences like this and they're not mm-hmm. sure who or how to share it or if they should share it or That's where right. a safe place is to share it.
2: Right. It is. Go ahead, Jeff.
3: Uh- When I was going to my first speaking engagement in Salem, Massachusetts, I was sitting in the airport about to board a plane, and this young couple came and sat down by me and started visiting, asking me the usual airport questions, where are you going, what are you doing, and when they asked, what are you going to be speaking about, and I told them, this young woman's whole countenance changed, and she looked at me and she said, my grandfather just died, and he's come to me a couple of times. And my initial thought was, why would you share something so intimate with a total stranger? And then I realized, oh, I'm a safe place. She knows I'll believe her. Uh, And she took one of my books and went and caught her plane. I'd been an emergency physician for 25 years at that point. I estimated I'd seen in excess of 60,000 patients. And on the plane to Boston, a voice spoke to me and said, you will help more people with this book than you helped as a physician in the emergency department. Mm. so it gave me a whole new view of the next chapter of my life, and that's why I talk about it
2: now. Oh, that is beautiful. Wow. I love that's, that.
1: That's amazing. I know on this show, <laughs> as well as in my life, we have seen many people just like you, and this is, I guess, maybe why I'm so excited to have you on here, <laughs> because I yeah. have had these experiences, too, a lot just lately since my husband passed away, yeah. and so this is this is very tender to my heart, and I want people to understand, our listeners, that there is a safe place, and you're not crazy. <laughs>
3: you're not crazy. <laughs> you're not
1: crazy. <laughs> and don't you're be right. afraid of it. It can be a beautiful, beautiful experience. So People talk that to I've... that
3: for a minute, Jeff.
2: Go ahead. Yes. Uh,
3: in fact, uh, right now I'm reading an advanced copy of a book. next month or two. Uh, about people that have these kind of spiritual experiences when someone they're close to dies. And sometimes they see their loved one uh, go on to the next life or they have some profound out-of-body experience. It's actually quite common, very common, but most people don't talk about it. And the people that actually die and are pronounced dead and then are resuscitated and come back and have had some profound out-of-body experience, it's called a near-death experience. On average, they wait seven years before they talk about it in any public way. That's how long it takes them to process and to work up the courage to finally talk about it.
1: Wow. Seven years.
2: That is interesting. I, when I started my video uh, project that I do about people's miracles and yeah, at the beginning, a lot of them, well, first thing they say is, Oh, I don't, I haven't had any miracles. That that doesn't happen. (laughs) And, and that it always begins there. And I said, well, you just have to think about it. Maybe they're not necessarily really, uh, extravagant, and and you see things, or you hear something, but something's happening, and you just need to kind of keep track of that, and I tell people to write them down. However, when I've gone to these videos, and they start telling their experiences, sometimes then they'll just want to visit. They just want to talk to me, maybe afterwards, and just say, this is what I think about things, and we have this really spiritual dialogue that I think is very enriching, invigorating, strengthening. To where it's not just interesting, but it actually makes you feel feel good about things.
3: Yes, I, I agree uh, entirely with you. I had an oncologist, for example, who heard me speak at a conference, and she came up to me afterwards, and she said, you know, I've had a lot of patients that have passed away, of course. She's an oncologist. She takes care right. of cancer patients. Answer, yeah. She said, but I've never had one of these experiences that you talk about. And, uh she said, "Of course, I'm not usually there when they pass. I'm not usually in the room." And then she said, "But you know, there was one time when I went to see a patient, and they were—they ju- had just passed as I entered the room, and I felt them uh, leave as I entered." I said, "Wait, oh. what, what did you say?" And she said, "I felt them leave." I said. You felt them leave? And she said, yeah. And I said, you have had an experience. That yeah. is an experience. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because like you say, a lot of people don't recognize it until they start to verbalize it. And you reflect some of their experience back to them. And they kind of have an aha
2: moment and go, oh. Yeah. Okay, again, I get it. That's
1: what that And they want to
2: talk more. And there was this one time. Yeah. It's. Yeah. But it's wonderful. It's just so enriching. I, I get tingles when I talk about it because I enjoy it so much. But, yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting I'll tell you just one quick experience that happened to me when I was in college. I worked at the OR as well, and I was just an orderly, so I was just kind of helping. But one person came in, and they'd been hit by, uh, they crossed the street and were hit by a motorcycle, but they were bleeding internally on the brain. So it was an emergency surgery. In they come, and uh, and I was there just to help. I'm moving pieces of equipment around or whatever. And uh, But the anesthesiologist, because he's now there at the, at the table ready, the uh, the, the surgeon is not quite set yet, but he's getting himself ready. But he looked at me and he looked at the nurse that was with me and he said, start opening the case up. And I had to say, well, I haven't scrubbed up. I know how, but I, I just haven't scrubbed up yet. And then he said, don't get formal about this. We need to get going. And so, and so I'm doing things quickly. It's, I guess he made a medical decision. We'll worry about infections later. We, we need to get the pressure off of, off of his brain. But anyway, so we went through that experience, and I stayed there. But in my mind, I remember thinking, if this person dies, you know, will, will they be seeing me? What, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> am I being respectful? And um, anyway, that was it. I was there for about a half an hour and watching as much as I could. This was, was a late night thing. So about midnight, I said, well, I need to get home because I got school tomorrow. So I did, went to school, and I went to work the next day. And I, I asked them, I said, what happened to that individual in room three? And they said, oh, he's up on the fourth floor. Oh, okay. So my question was, did he survive live, the surgery? Yeah. And he did. But nothing happened that I remember seeing or even hearing. However, I've had enough close experiences and talked with enough people that uh, I'm, I'm strengthened by it. And I believe it and I appreciate what you're saying.
1: That's uh, so cool. Thank you. Jeff, is there anything besides our other Jeff, our dear friend, that has really stuck out in your mind that you could share with us?
3: Yes. Um, I I walked into uh, the ER one day to start my shift. I was logging onto my computer when I felt a presence over my shoulder. I'd had enough experiences by then that I intuitively knew the, the presence of my shoulder was the person whose body was around the corner in the resuscitation bay, and they were trying to resuscitate this woman. Uh, and mm-hmm. she asked me for help. So I stopped what I was doing, I walked around the corner and into the room. They were, She was intubated, they were doing chest compressions, giving medications, the doctor was there giving orders. I had absolutely no responsibility for her medical care at all, I was just observing in the room. And, and nobody paid any attention to me because I was in my scrubs and white coat, I think I was the department chair at the time and it wasn't uncommon to be in the room with a patient even though I wasn't their doctor. And uh, I walked over and I just rested my hand on her leg because I've learned that touch is so important in these experiences. Mm. And as I touched her, she uh, silently asked me if she could leave. Mind you, she's unconscious. She's intubated. They're doing chest compressions and, and stuff. And I thought initially, why would you ask me? Why would you think I have the answer to that question?
1: Right. Uh But as
3: I'm thinking that, the words came to me from some divine place, and I silently communicated back to her, if you think it's time to go and you think it's the right thing to do, I think it's probably okay for you to go. Mm -hmm. And as I silently communicated that back to her, uh, she rose up out of her body and she stood in the air above the gurney she appeared to be about half the age of the body she'd just come out of. And she filled me with this beautiful light and love. And she thanked me profusely for, uh, for my help. And then she left. Uh, and I didn't really even feel like I'd done anything. I walked back out of the room as I left. I could hear the physician in charge pronouncing her time of death. And I thought, yeah, I know. I saw her leave. And I went wow. over and logged onto to my computer. And that's how my shift began that day. So sometimes just being present, just being willing, just being open, uh, not all uh, souls that come to us are there to help us. Sometimes they come because they want our help for them. And it's for me, what I've found is that these souls that are outside their bodies, they're just people. They just don't happen to be in a body right now. And we tend to think all these supernatural things about them, but that's not the way it is. They're just souls, and for a while, they're in physical bodies, and for a while, before and after, they're not in physical bodies. But they're the same souls. That's my experience. Wow. I
1: love (laughs) it. Very profound. It is. How cool is that? So, do you feel like there's anything people need to be afraid of? Because there's a lot of people that are afraid, people that have seen this and experienced it. we've only got a few minutes before the break, but what would you say if somebody is feeling fear?
3: I have a lot of friends who are in this uh, space, in this community. They, a lot of people have had near death experiences. Many of them have written books about it. They've spoken about it widely. I don't have any friends who are afraid that have been through these experiences that are afraid of death. And I've never heard any of them suggest to anyone that they should be afraid of death. On the contrary, they always say there's nothing to be afraid of. It's a place of unconditional, unfathomable love and light and beauty. And some people have had darkness in their after-death experiences that they've come back to talk about. But almost always they're filled with light uh, and, and happiness. And no, I don't think you should be afraid of anything.
1: That's beautiful. I know I tell people no all the time that we're, we are spiritual beings having a mortal experience. <laughs> and that's that's what these bodies are for, to have these mortal experiences, right? right. And then Indeed. when we're done with this mortal body, we can go on and have more spiritual experiences. <laughs> <Right>.
3: <laughs> we're divine beings, and being mortal does not make us less divine. Right. I love well, that. Uh, that's like that's that.
1: so beautiful. So, you know, when they say the worth, worth of the soul... You know, everybody's soul is so incredibly amazing, and we just need to not be afraid of that. And if there's somebody that's out there that has gone through an experience or is having experience or doesn't doesn't know what to do with it, how mm. can they get hold of you? What is the best way if they can get hold of you or get your book? Please give that information before we leave, and then we'll give it again before we when we come back on.
3: Helpingsoulsheal.com is my website you can find me there. You can send me a message. You can find my books there on my website and buy them if you want. Uh, uh, JeffOdriscoll.com will get you to the same website, um, and I'm really easy to reach that way.
1: That's such a beautiful name, Helping Wonderful. Souls Heal. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful experience, because I know in my world and the people I've dealt with, there are some souls that have that made decisions on this earth that really need to come to terms with that and figure out how to make it better, make it right, um, be forgiven. And forgiveness is one of the things we all need to do. And oh, I'm getting the cue that we have to take our break. And I hate that because I want to keep talking, but I'm so grateful for our sponsors. So, yeah. so with that being said, we'll come back on with that in just a few moments. Please stay with us. You don't want to miss the rest of the story. Jeff, you're amazing. I appreciate you. We'll be right back. Stay tuned
3: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
0: learn more about the products and equipment discussed by stephanie and her guests on the show by visiting myvitalityhealthsolutions.com. we've done the research for you and selected proven high quality brands at competitive prices from companies you can trust Drugs and surgery are not your only options. Discover the exciting alternative therapies and health and wellness products that are helping people to reclaim their health and enjoy a higher quality of life. That's myvitalityhealthsolutions.com.
1: Hi, this is Ellie Meadows with Young Living Essential Oils. I invite you to skip the stress of the holidays this year and let Young Living take care of all of your gift giving needs from soothing bath bombs to delicious seasonal oil blends. Looking to make some extra money for the holidays? I'm currently accepting new team members who will have the exclusive opportunity to grow their business under the leadership of Jack Canfield, one of the top success coaches in America. For more information, find me on Facebook or Instagram under Oils with Ellie, that's E L L I E, or email me, oilswithellie@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
0: listening To the Vitality Health Show with Stephanie Parrish. If you have a question for Stephanie or her guest, please email contact at myvitalityhealthsolutions.com. Now, back to the Vitality Health Show.
1: Welcome back, friends. We are having an amazing, amazing discussion here. I've got goosebumps like crazy, and <laughs> they just yes. keep coming and keep rolling. It's like it so fantastic. We're so grateful to have Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll on with us. He was an emergency room physician for 25 years. He now helps people that have either passed on or just making sense of world, but it's it's helping com. And we're going to go on we're going to start our next section here with Doug asking the question you were asking in the break, because I think that this is a question that I want to know the answer to, as well as Jeff's got so much more to share with us. And Mm -hmm. we're going to try to cram as much as we can into the next few minutes that we have with him.
2: Yep. Go ahead, Doug. Well, I appreciated when you were speaking about uh, the, the woman that you were helping. no the woman that was being resuscitated in the, in the next uh, area, next room, and she came to you and asked for some help. And the help you provided was to simply uh, be there and, and then rest, and you just kind of rested your hand on her leg, which helped things move along for her to make the kind of the decision that it was time to go. But I guess the point I'm coming to is that there's something about all of this, which, right, goes beyond just the chemistry of things. But just being there, just being present, just being at a, at a moment when you can rest your arm on somebody, that does a myriad of things to help things move in a positive direction. Go ahead, Jeff.
3: Yes, I agree with you entirely. Just being present is such a door opener. Yeah. Um, in, in my work, in the, I worked in a level one trauma center. I didn't have a patient die every shift but nearly every shift I was taking care of somebody that was in their last moments of life. And when somebody passes, you know, you can file out of the room and go on to your next patient, call for housekeeping to come clean the room, do whatever you want. But I learned sometimes if you just pause for a few moments, a very short time and you just acknowledge silently wait a minute, a soul just passed. Somebody's mortal existence just concluded and they moved on to another realm. And just that acknowledgement, that awareness, always opened the door to some profound spiritual experience for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And I like what you said, too. It applies to so many things. Just take a pause. Take a yeah. minute and let yourself. Yep. Pause.
1: Yeah, we become robots sometimes and just move, 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 get everything done. I know many years, 30, gosh, we're going on probably 36 years ago, my my father was passing away. He had had surgery. It had gone wrong. There was just a whole bunch of different things. And I remember sitting there with him in the recovery room when they didn't think he was going to make it. Well, they thought he was going to make it. He didn't. I knew he wasn't going to. And I remember holding his hand and tears running down his face and he's all got all the equipment on. And, and I remember just this piece coming over me saying, dad, it's going to be okay. I'll take care of mom and I'll take care of the kids because they still had young, I still had young siblings at home. And just that sigh That he left. My dad had passed away three other times before in his life. He had had experience with Christ before and with passing on. And he always said, I'm not afraid of it. You know, he was more afraid of what was going to happen with us at home. And I remember just sitting there with him with tears rolling down his face and telling him it was going to be okay. Everything would be okay. Go ahead and go. And I had that experience with my husband who just passed away too. And I know that he was ready to go. I know he wasn't coming back, but I also was able to say it's okay, go, and to let him go, and and just to have those moments, you know. And for for us that are still here, that we're, we we get the hard job here, right? We're Trying left to behind, deal with everything. right? <laughs> so we I want to ask you a quick question on that too. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Jeff. What what we're seeing?
3: We live in a world that is so obsessed with the future of what we're going to do, where we're going to be, what we're going to celebrate, what we're going to become. And uh, it's good to plan for the future. It's good to work toward the future. But sometimes we forget you only live in the present. You only exist in the present. You can only experience spirit in the now. That's the only time you can have it. You can remember what it felt like to have a spiritual experience in the past, and you can relish it and relive it. And you can anticipate having a spiritual experience in the future and you can prepare for it and be ready. But you can only actually have it in the present, in the now. And that's why it's so important to be present. Beautiful.
2: That's beautiful. That's huge. That is huge. Sorry, go ahead, ahead, Doug. Yeah, the phrase is, planning is just procrastination. Where did we hear that? It's a couple of days ago. So, (laughs) so back to your point. Yeah. We were
1: just talking about that in a meeting.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So plan, but yeah, live in the present when it happens, soak it up. That's a good point.
1: So Jeff, what if somebody doesn't know how to do that or doesn't, because I know when you're lecturing, you teach some of this stuff. If somebody really just doesn't know and they're on the treadmill, like I was for a very long time, and doesn't know how to just be present. I know when when I got divorced, it was really interesting for my first husband. My son said, mom, you are so present with us now. And I thought I was very, very present with them. I thought I was a really attentive mother. But their father attempted suicide many, many times. And it was very difficult for me. And he says, every minute of your life was worried whether he was going to die or not. And so you were here with us, but you weren't present with us. And I, I didn't even know what that meant at that time. I'm like, what do you mean I wasn't? I was there for everything. <laughs> but my thoughts and my mind and my presence was, is dad going to be okay when we get home? So could you give us a little bit of education on how to be present?
3: That's a, that's a challenging thing because, like I say, we're so distracted uh, that we we miss things. One of the things that is important to help us learn to live in the present, to be present in the now, is to think about the moments in your life when you were in the presence. Uh, for example, some people feel this profound spiritual goosebumps tingling, if you will, standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Some people feel it when they're listening to an opera at La Scala.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Some people hear it or feel it when they hold their, their child for the first time. Yes. Go to those moments in your life and recognize what it feels like to be fully in the moment, taking in the beauty, taking in the, the sensations of the sound, the sight, the smells. Uh, go to those points in your life and f- review them in your mind about how it feels. And then implement a practice of finding, even if it's just a few minutes in your life each day, a time when you can sit and contemplate those times and put yourself into it in the present. What am I feeling right now? What am I smelling right now? What do I see? You know, when I look at the tree, is it just a tree? No. Take a ten- take a moment and notice the leaves and the shape of the leaves. Notice the squirrel or the bird that's sitting on the branch. Start to... Dig into the details a little bit until you realize that you've forgotten about everything else in the day except this moment that you're living in, and that mindfulness practice will grow to lead you into a more spiritually centered life, a more uh, developed uh, personal space where where you become connected with your higher self.
2: I love that. So it's you can you can practice it. You can say, yeah. okay.
3: Yeah, people People are fine with the notion that you can have a musical gift, but you still have to practice 40,000 hours to, to master the mm-hmm. instrument, right? Right, right. You can have an athletic gift, but you still have to take the field with the team and practice on a daily basis if you're going to play. Right. Uh, But when it comes to spiritual things, people tend to think that they just come upon you, gifts of spiritual gifts come upon you perfected, and all you have to do is exercise them. It's not that way. You have to start small. You have to find the small things, and you have to do it on a daily basis. Over years, you grow into it until it becomes natural and normal and second nature to you. Practice is so crucial.
2: That is excellent. I love
1: that that you said that. We were just, just talking about this the other day actually this weekend we were up there with Doug yeah. talking about all the experiences that we've had in our lives. And like you were saying, being in those moments and how each one of those experiences have brought us to where we are right now. And we were just driving home from Boise yesterday and taking in the sunset was just that moment of all the colors and the changing and the kind of forgot we're driving but not a good idea don't don't (laughs) get that into it but (laughs) luckily john was driving i was i was the one taking it all in but just having that moment of ah this is incredible how beautiful we get to have this moment you know and they don't last very long so you just take those moments and then next time something else will come up and you just take those moments we were even talking about stopping and reading reading the historical sites and as a child, we stopped at every historical site everywhere. And that was an education my dad always made us so all get out, all six of us kids, read it, learn something about it, and take that moment. And sometimes our trips took forever, and my mom would get so mad.
2: <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but I remember standing there with my whole family overlooking a bluff and finding out what the Indian Wars were there, or just finding out at Craters of the Moon how that was how that regret created, you know, with volcanics and, and all the things going on and just having that moment to really take it all in and, and being able to turn that more to spiritual things, especially lately in my life, just taking the time and being present. And I so much appreciate you teaching us to do that, even if it's for just a few moments, because they'll get longer and longer and we'll start recognizing them more. Right, and then yeah. you'll
2: start to recognize them, and then that can go into our gratitude journal, our spiritual journal at the end of the right. evening, which sometimes can come right in the middle of the day. It's like, I don't have to wait till nighttime to start putting right. some notes down when they <laughs> come strong. Yeah,
3: Yeah. and most people now carry a smartphone, and there's usually a note function on the phone where you yep. can jot down yep. a note to remind yourself of something or, or uh, yep. something you're grateful for. Uh, it's, it's very uh, convenient usually to do that.
2: I agree completely. I
3: get
1: at that too. (laughs) So let's, let's shift just a little bit to the miracles because this show is all about hope, healing and miracles. And that healing is not only in physical, but mental, emotional, spiritual, every other way that there is. Could you share, you already have shared some of your miracles that you've seen, but could you share a couple of the other miracles that you're like, that just came out of nowhere or you saw it was coming? So what are some of the miracles that you have experienced besides the ones you've already shared with us?
3: One of the most life-changing miracles I experienced uh, that changed me in, in a fundamental way came when I went into a room to see a homeless patient. It was in the wintertime. It was cold outside. There was snow on the ground. Uh, he was, uh, had on warm clothes, but they were tattered and soiled, and he had long, shaggy hair and an unkempt beard uh he struggled with substance abuse and he had holes in his in his shoes and through the holes in his shoes I could see the holes in his socks and I could see that his feet were in rough shape because he'd been wearing cold wet shoes and socks for a prolonged period of time which takes a real toll on your skin and your feet I don't think the two of us even really spoke much we kind of both knew what needed to happen we were the only two people in the room I walked over to the sink and I pulled out a wash basin and filled it with warm water and squirted some soap in it. And I sat down at the foot of the gurney with a wash rag and I took off his shoes and I pulled off the last threads of his socks and I washed his feet. Hmm. And something profound happened. Everything that was temporal, everything that was physical was drawn aside. And I saw his soul. I saw him the way I saw the woman that asked me for help, that when she came out of her body and I saw her soul, I saw his the same way, only he wasn't deceased. He was still alive. But I saw his soul. I saw who he was, and I realized I was in the presence of the divine. I went into the room thinking I was there to serve him, and then I realized he was there ministering to me. Mm. He was teaching me who I was because that's who we all are. No matter where we are, whether we're sitting in the pews at the church or whether we're sitting in the gutter uh, in the inner city, the person next to us is always divine. That's who they are. That's who we are. I viewed every soul differently after that day because I understood better who I am and who they are. That is the homeless man. He, he He was the antithesis of everything the world defines as success. Mm. And yet, I saw his mm. divinity.
2: That wow. is poignant. That is beautiful. That is something we can I, take. I'm kind forever. of speechless, and
1: that doesn't happen very yeah, often. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's uh, well to hear that. My goodness, and I, and I, well, thank you. Just thank you. That's that's the right words. I appreciate you you telling us that. Beautiful, beautiful. So, and I love that
1: you said it's changed how you look at every soul. It's changed, and and I think that's what God wants, and that's what that Christ is trying to teach us. Everyone is a child of God, and everyone oh. needs to be treated that way.
3: Yeah, I had no a matter patient, what their
1: circumstances.
3: I, I had a patient uh, come in one day. He was uh, in handcuffs. He he uh, had just got paroled from prison. He looked up his uh, his b- provider, his uh, drug uh, dealer and uh, managed to score some uh, drugs. Uh, he was high. Mm. He was, he'd was he gotten a foot chase with police. They chased him down, uh, restrained him, put him in handcuffs, and brought him to the emergency department. Well, there's certain drugs the, that if you take into your system and then you're involved in... Uh, extreme overstimulation like running from police and then you're forcibly restrained like being put in handcuffs uh, you can have a a disastrous outcome and he did. He he died in the emergency department um, from all of those things. Um, It was about that time a friend of mine came to me and he He invited me to come speak at this church service that was being held at the Utah State Prison. And I thought, no, I don't really want to Mm. do that. But he was persistent, and he persuaded me to go. So I went to this church service to speak, and uh, I'd had some really profound, strong impressions about what to speak about and what not to speak about. And when I got there, they started the meeting, and the the person in charge of the meeting proceeded to tell uh, the congregants that, uh, one of their former congregants uh, was deceased, that he'd just been paroled and that he had, and as he started to talk about it, I realized he was talking about the patient I'd had recently that's who oh, it was wow. and suddenly he wasn't anymore just a, a substance user running from police, he was he was a fellow soul mm. right? You. he was a human being and after my talk uh, I I I, I we had some really warm conversations afterwards. It was a very uplifting experience. And in the car that night, a voice spoke to me and said, I was in prison and you visited me, which mm-hmm. I recognized as a phrase from the yeah, New yeah. Testament. I grew up in a Christian tradition. I'm familiar with the New Testament. Then I recognized that phrase. And that's, that's what the voice that spoke to me said that night. I was in prison and you visited me. That's who we are. That's who everybody around us is. That's who's standing next to us. When we serve our fellow beings, we're serving God. That's that's who we are.
2: That is the idea. Oh, that is awesome. I agree with you. When you're in prison and you visited me. I uh, I just I've I've done some projects with my work where I've been at the prison too and appreciated when I'm visiting with people, something's happened in their life that has them there, which is unfortunate. But they are still children of God. And they're trying to do whatever they can do to fix whatever they can fix. But particularly what you said about medically, that's interesting. And I think it's really poignant how you were at that meeting not realizing the person standing up to talk about it was talking about the person that you dealt with medically. That must have been a real eye-opening experience.
3: Yeah, some things happen that kind of jerk us back into reality. Yeah, I like that.
2: Yeah, those moments of "Hey, wake up! This is what's going on." Okay, focus again. Get back to where you <laughs> need to be. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so it's so true. We get jerked around a lot. Going, whoa! Okay, that that just took me by surprise. And everybody's mm-hmm. everybody's dealing with everything right now. There's just so much that people are dealing with. And this is something that I I love what you're saying, Jeff, because we need to find those miracles, even if they're tiny, even if they're just very, very little. And we need to have hope because there's always hope out there. We just need to not forget that it is out there and it's there for all of us, all of us, even the homeless man. I sit there, this is what's coming to my mind. He came into your emergency room and into your room for a reason that wasn't by happenstance. That wasn't by just because he needed to be there for you. Yeah. So so you could learn a lesson and he could learn a lesson. You know, he probably hadn't been treated with that kindness and love that you gave him. He mm-hmm. was just another homeless man on the street.
3: And, you know, so much of miracles, experiencing miracles is, is wrapped up in how we view miracles and what we, how we define miracles. And sometimes we make mistakes about what we think is a miracle. I was sitting with some friends one day, and they were talking about if they could have any spiritual gift, what would it be? And uh, they were talking about spiritual gifts like it talks about in the New Testament. And one of them spoke up and said, I want to be able to raise the dead. And I remember thinking, yeah, that would be cool. I'd like to be able to raise the dead. That's a pretty good gift. And as I thought that, uh, a vision opened up to me, if you will. I saw myself in Scrubs, in the in the ER, with defibrillator paddles in my hands, defibrillating somebody's heart and restoring their circulation. Mm-hmm. And I saw a series of these things a bunch of times in different scrubs, in a different lab coat, in a different room in the emergency department with a different patient. But I saw myself over and over doing it through my 25-year career when I, dif- when I defibrillated these patients and brought them back to life. And I remember at the, at the conclusion thinking, oh, I've been raising the dead for years. I just called it something else.
1: Oh. Interesting. And,
3: uh, 50 years ago, all of those patients would have died. Nobody knew about cardiac defibrillation, you know, back then. Now we think right. of it as just a basic part of scientific understanding and knowledge and something that's done in, in, in the hospital. We stop viewing it as a miracle because we start viewing it as the mundane. We start seeing it as science mm. instead of spirit. But when did that shift happen and why did it happen? And just because we understand the science doesn't mean that it's no longer a miracle. You know, in addition to studying medicine, I also like to study history. And there's this account that I love about a person in the mid-1800s. He's uh, visiting uh, Hawaii, and the ship is out in Lahaina Harbor, and the sea is getting quite boisterous. And and, uh, he was reluctant to go ashore because the sea was so rough that he was afraid the landing craft would capsized and he warned his fellow travelers that that might happen but they got in the boat and went ashore anyway and sure enough it capsized and one of the people he was in mid 50s or early 60s I think he drowned in the surf and they drug his lifeless body out of the ocean and he was laying on the sand and this person in the middle of the Pacific had this spiritual intuitive impression that he should put his mouth on this person's mouth and breathe air into his lungs which he did and resuscitated and brought him back to life in the mid 1850s mouth-to-mouth resuscitation was just beginning to be described by some of the major academic centers in Europe but this guy in the middle of the Pacific had never heard of it for him it was a purely spiritual experience now Mm. we talk about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation all the time we don't usually think of it as a miracle but for this guy it was a profound miracle how we view our lives often is the determinant of how many miracles we
2: experience. Amen. That was, I wrote it down. The takeaway from what you just said was don't, for me, don't let yourself fall into thinking things are just mundane. I have to make sure that I'm not thinking like that. So I have to be grateful for A, B, and C all the time. Because, well, just like what you said, the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, defibrillation, etc. miracles. Now we yeah. think it's mundane. So so does my heart go down? Do I say, ah, no big deal anymore? I just can't let that happen. I have to myself not let that happen to me. Yeah,
1: Jeff, thank you so much. That's a perfect place to end the show. I don't want to end the show. We could go on and on and on and on. But I want to make sure that our listeners out there, they can go to com. Correct? correct? helpingsoulsheal.com. He's got so much on there. You guys want to get his books. He's got a number of them on there. You want to make sure that you get those. He's just such a beautiful, beautiful person. As you know, you've heard his book. His memoir is called Not Yet. And we didn't even get to get into that one yet. That's going to be a whole nother show. But we want to thank you so much for sharing. Um, I've just had goosebumps this whole show, speaking of which. And again, just don't take anything for granted. Everything that we have, even the breath breath that we breathe, is a miracle. And we need to be sure and look at that every single day. So, again. Doug, love you to death. Thank you so much. (laughs) Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here. I just adore you and love you. And thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And everybody out there, watch for the miracles and always have hope in your healing. Doesn't matter what you're needing to heal from. Make sure you have hope in your healing and find those miracles. And in the meantime, have a really wonderful, safe and happy and healthy week.
4: Isn't it interesting how we can be physically disconnected from others and yet be personally affected by the change and confusion of the world around us? We want moments of clarity and peace, and we need to feel connected to others in positive ways. A mindfulness practice can help decrease stress, increase feelings of well-being, and help us be more connected to those around us. To find out how mindfulness can do all this, go to MindfulLab.net. You'll find tools and resources to start your mindfulness journey today at MindfulLab.net.
0: If you're looking for the highest quality CBD products on the market, visit SunshineFamilyHemp.com. Sunshine Family Hemp is a family-owned business located in the mountains of Northern Utah. Our full-spectrum oral and topical products contain no artificial ingredients, and are third-party tested by a DEA-certified lab. Online ordering is easy, and we ship nationwide. Sunshine Family Hemp has been in business since 2019 and is legally certified at both the state and federal level. Visit sunshinefamilyhemp.com today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Vitality Health Show. Be sure to tune in next Thursday for another informative show with Stephanie Parrish and leading health and wellness experts. That's Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a wonderful, healthy week.
3: Statements made and information provided on this program are for educational purposes only. They have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and products discussed on this program are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Vitality Health Show is not responsible for any misunderstandings or misapplication of information presented in this
0: show.
4: Isn't it interesting how we can be physically disconnected from others and yet be personally affected by the change and confusion of the world around us? We want moments of clarity and peace, and we need to feel connected to others in positive ways. A mindfulness practice can help decrease stress, increase feelings of well-being, and help us be more connected to those around us. To find out how mindfulness can do all this, go to MindfulLab.net. You'll find tools and resources to start your mindfulness journey today at MindfulLab.net.
0: If you're looking for the highest quality CBD products on the market, visit SunshineFamilyHemp.com. Sunshine Family Hemp is a family-owned business located in the mountains of northern Utah, Our full-spectrum oral and topical products contain no artificial ingredients and are third-party tested by a DEA-certified lab. Online ordering is easy, and we ship nationwide. Sunshine Family Hemp has been in business since 2019 and is legally certified at both the state and federal level. Visit sunshinefamilyhemp.com today.